Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Two, one, bang. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, mom. Exactly. Thank you, dad. You have three people in the audience. Like, yeah. It's just like, it's like the science theater. It's like mystery science theater. like four people. Hey, I didn't introduce like, you. And as oh, always. Sorry. Yes. Who's talking? Yes. Who's talking is... Mr. John Small. <laughs> A little bit slow on the sound effects today. Um, hey, everybody. John Small. John Small Downer. <laughs> uh, no, I'm John Small Happy Guy, right? Yes, yes, yes. Should be, y'all. Yeah, thank you. Uh, wow, this is a good episode. This is a we haven't we haven't done a solo one on one episode since the very early days of this podcast. That is true. You've, you've had. True stellar guests for uh, almost every episode. So this is kind of fun to have you, but there's a reason that we're, that there's just the two of us today. Yeah. And do you want to explain to that what the reason is? What's the reason? <laughs> I, oh, I, I actually is it forgot. My, is it my book? What is the reason? No, the reason is because we're going to talk about your book, which I just read. Thank you. Which is really good. I recommend it to everybody. And we're not, we don't want to turn this into an infomercial. I get it. But the fact is you wrote a freaking book and it's not everybody writes books. It's hard to write a book. It, and it, I'm very impressed. I want to know more about the process and a little bit more about why you wrote the book. But congratulations on your book. And thank you. It's called Making Cannabis Personable. It's called Making Cannabis. <laughs> it's. I don't even know what the hell it's called. I think I just obviously got very personal with cannabis that I can't yes. even Make, freaking. Making Cannabis Personal. That's what it's yes, called. Yes, by Len May, the CEO yeah. of Endocanna Health. And it is a good read. I learned a lot, not only about cannabis, but about you. And I okay. thought I knew a lot about you because we do a podcast together and you right. talk a lot about your personal life. But I I learned a lot about you here. So that was kind of, that was really insightful for me. And, and I think people will really enjoy it. But just from a kind of pure, um, you know, learning about the yeah. plant and all the very facets of it, the, the complicated facets of it, I thought you did a really good job at explaining that. So well, I appreciate congratulations. It. Thank you. Mr. May. <clears throat> Thank um, you. And it, it means a lot because I'm not a writer and it was a very, very difficult process. And uh, you were asking me before uh, we got on, like what the process was. So for me, um, 
I was uh, I was recording myself, and the way that it works, so my co-writer is uh, Brian Kaufman, who's uh, a professor of English literature and writing in Rhode Island. So he's this is what he does. He writes and he's a he's a comedy writer too. We actually went to a comedy class together and I actually did a whole routine uh, which and I got some laughs. I'm like, I don't even know what nice. the hell I'm doing. So it was I don't it was know interesting. people must have been high. Yeah, it definitely well I gave him all cannabis before. So I, I bribed <laughs> right, that helps. Yeah, quick, that quick, helps. So the the way this is a two-year process, and this is the way it worked for me. And I don't know anything about writing. I decided to record myself and uh, just send him the recording. He would transcribe it, and that would be the book. And when I read the first iteration of the book, it did not capture my voice. So I was like, it's boring. It, it, it read like it was a, it was like a, you know, like a, a school book. Like it's telling yeah. you all the science. It was so sciencey, yeah, just a textbook, it, boring, flat. Yeah, yeah, it didn't. It didn't capture my voice. So we sort of scrapped the whole thing and redid it. Mm. Not not the whole thing, but a lot of it. And what we decided to do, we set up weekly calls and like zooms or whatever it was. I would record myself. I would transcribe it with software. I would send it to him, and we would go over the chapter and make notes. And now I was explaining things and he's like, oh, that makes more sense. How about this? So it was a very, very tedious process because I just don't know how else to do it. And uh, But that's what, what I did for me. So it now captured my voice. It's now, uh, and, and here's, the, here's the mandate. My, my business partner, Eric, said to me, the book has to be so I can read it from when I'm flying from LA to JFK. So it can't mm-hmm. be, be long. I just want to digest it really, really quickly in whatever amount of hours was it? Five, well, I read five, it hours. in a night, yeah. um, and I read it last night, and it's what is it? It's only it, I actually was really appreciated the length of it. I think it's 135 pages. Yes, but it's big words. <laughs> <laughs> the words are very big. No, it's uh, no, it's a it's a very digestible um, experience reading it. So again, when you said, "Oh, can you read my book?" I was like, oh God, you know, that's going to take me like a few days and yeah. it didn't. And I read a lot of books. So this was a really good read and it was a fast read. So I think that was really good advice to you. And it's really interesting to hear about the process of how you did it. I, I've ghostwritten a lot of books for people. Right. Um, and I, you know, everybody has a different way. I think you guys did it the way that was most comfortable for you. And I love that kind of scribe technique. They call it, I think these days where it's like, you kind of dictate your book. A lot of yeah. people are dictating books. Um, and a lot, and so much of it is your own experience. I mean, you know, and not only your own experience, but your own knowledge about the plant that I, you know, you probably didn't have to do. I mean, you obviously had to do research in your life, but a lot of that is up here in your dome and you just had to get it onto the page. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was a lot of things that were, that I, I knew, but I wanted to have references. So if, if I'm just right. saying something, uh, I've, I've talked about this for so many years or like, okay, well, how do you know? Well, now we have some references. We have some research. And because, right. uh, you know, Endocana Health is doing its own references, its own research. Now I can say not only is it like somebody wrote about it, but in, in practice, this is what I deal with on a daily basis in my business. And I can actually, and, and I, I always thought about when I read books that have to do with cannabis, one of the things that's always missing for me in these books, and maybe there's other books that I haven't read all of them, it's missing my connection to a personal story. 
And yeah. what I wanted to do with this was I wanted to give people an identity or an archetype that they can relate to. They can relate to, you know, Jim the veteran or Grandma Mary or somebody else. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. shit, I'm just like that too. And and yep. I'm finding out more and more that people have these adverse experiences and they don't talk about it. And I had this experience just recently with a couple of young people. So everybody's like, oh, you know, your DNA test and all that stuff, it's it's for people who are afraid to do consume cannabis or the old people or uh, we're dabbers. We don't need that stuff. I know what I've been consuming for, you know, years. I know what I need. So I, I'm talking to these two young guys. Uh, I would say early to mid-20s at most. And they're sort of like, ah, DNA test, what do I, does not need any? I, I dab. Am I okay? Cool. Yeah. And the one guy said, he goes, yeah, dabbing. And this girl walked over and started saying something about an edible. And the guy said, I dab all day. I can smoke anybody under a table. I don't know if there's a, you know, a competition for this, but I guess that there is. But as soon as I consume an edible, that's it. I'm done. It freaks me out. I have a completely different experience. I'm like, mm. well, let me tell you about that. So <laughs> Come into, yeah, that's here. come into my web kind of thing, you know? And so everything is personal as the show is called, but a lot of people don't talk about these experiences they have with cannabis. Cannabis is safe. Of course it's safe. Nobody ever died from it. Can you get fucked up and have a pretty bad experience? Absolutely, it's a drug. And I just want people to be comfortable relating to those people that actually have similar experiences and understand there's a reason why and then you don't have to have that experience. If you understand your blueprint, you understand why, now you can, uh, my, my analogy that, that people are now using is like, avoid the sharp corners. We're baby-proof in the house. Avoid mm-hmm. those sharp corners, you know? And that's right. that's sort of my analogy for that. So is that why you wrote the book? Because you you felt like you had enough of this. Um, you felt you like there was too many of these people were coming to you in your life that... Um, either had adverse um, reaction to cannabis or yeah. thought they maybe think they understand something about cannabis that they don't? Or why did you decide to write the book? Yeah, there's a couple of different reasons. That's a big one. I wanted to get people comfortable talking about adverse effects. Most uh, cannabis publications and books, they talk about growing techniques, how you grow, uh, you know, how to, what the endocannabinoid system uh, is and how to use it. But not a lot of people talk about personal experiences that are adverse. So that's one. Yeah. The second thing is, uh, you know, in, in all transparency and honesty, uh, when I started sort of like on a speaking circuit when it comes to cannabis, I had a major, um, how do I say this, uh, stigma around for myself. I felt because I don't have a PhD or a DR in front or back of my name, I felt that I wouldn't be taken seriously. And I'm like, you know, I've been I've been doing this for a very long time, but you know, I'm there's no there's no uh, you know the, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a PhD, I'm not any of those things. And uh, so they started putting me in when I first started with uh, you know the stoners or the grow. They didn't know where to fit me. And mm-hmm. what I wanted to do was explain in this book that there is a path. Like you don't go to you do now, but when I was starting, there was no university degree in cannabis. Uh, there's no nothing that it can do. So my my degree is street. 
and knowledge. Mm. So I wanted to let everybody know the journey. There's a journey and there can be different journeys for everybody. This is my journey and it's up to the reader to see, okay, do I have enough experience in with the plant and in life to make it relevant that I have some sort of expertise? And I really feel weird about the whole expertise thing because I think my expertise, and people talk about this, my expertise is extreme curiosity. Like I am fascinated by this. And if if there is a way that I can like download, wear a helmet, download everything that has to do in real time with your endocannabinoid system and cannabis and, and drugs and all that stuff that are aside from you know, traditional, you know, pharmaceuticals, I would just download all that information because I just hate to study. Uh, reading and studying and sitting in class, but I am an insatiable learner and I learn in different ways. So if I can intake that information, if that makes me an expert because I can take that information and kind of regurgitate it in a way that the average person, Bob from Iowa that I always use can understand that, if that's a gift, great, let me share that gift because it's I don't want it to be too sciencey. And that was one of the you know areas where we, chiseled and chiseled. It's still a little bit maybe too sciencey from here, uh, you know, but you know. I, I, I think it's I think it's just the amount of a right amount of science. Thank I mean, you. I would say there's basically three parts of this book. There's the kind of personal story of Len and how Len came to to understand cannabis and and the impact it's made in your life. Then there's the what you would call the sciencey part, which is explaining the different endocannabinoid system, the terpenes and all these things that we need to understand. The DNA obviously is a huge part of it. And then there's a lot of the personal testimonies or the the personal stories of people um, who have uh, you know had interactions with cannabis and like you said you they're they're kind of I mean I'm assuming they're real people but they're also kind of like yeah. um, archetypes of different types of per- people that have experience with cannabis like you mentioned somebody that has PTSD you mentioned somebody an an, an older person so I thought that you kind of hit all bases really well and. One of the things I want to talk to you about is there's one point in the book where you say there's like three kind of life-changing events in your life, um, which I thought was really interesting. And 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 they we can sort of touch on those in this interview because I think they kind of explain the different facets of your life and of this book. And the first one is your experience with this woman, um, LV, last name LV. What is her first name? M- is um, No, the first name is LV Musica. Okay, LV Musica. Or Musica. So or Musica, up. yeah. That's that's her. Yeah. LV Musica. Musica. M-U-S-I-K-K-K-K-A. And tell us about, so your experience with having her, tell us a little bit about her and, and then your experience with her and how that kind of kind of altered and shifted yeah. was like a big life-changing moment. Huge, you. huge, yeah. So LV, so when I got kicked out of my house by my parents, I uh, became the president of the Cannabis Action Network. So one of the things we did was we try to, you know, legalize the plant. And I was living in Philadelphia and I decided to help hold the rally. And the rally was at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Uh, I mean, I talked about this story before several times, but I just want to kind of uh, frame it. So uh, that's where the Constitution and Declaration of Independence is housed on hemp paper, Liberty Bell and all that stuff. So it's federal land. And uh, Elvie was my keynote speaker. And the reason why I met Elvie is because through the Cannabis Action Network, uh, the the kids who were uh, supporting her, she traveled with them from, I think she lived in San Francisco at that time. And she came over and I didn't really know much about Elvie, but like, oh, we have a federal patient. Uh, she'd be great as a keynote. 
I'm like, federal mm-hmm. patient, what do you mean? And I started, yeah. and that's my, my rabbit hole. I'm like, wait, NIDA actually allowed 16 patients to get federally prescribed cannabis that was cultivated in Mississippi for certain medical conditions. Uh, they roll them in it. They, they put them in a tin. They roll them, I think, in somewhere in Carolina uh, into little cigarettes. And it's a tin that has a USDA label on it. Illegal cannabis that's prescribed. It blew my mind. I was like, well, wait a second. Schedule one. It's uh, illegal. It clearly says no medicinal uh, you know, use. That's a schedule one. But on the other hand, you approved it to 16 people. And I think at that time, there was only four or five left under that program. And I think mm-hmm. Bush Sr. may have discontinued it, if, or Bush Jr. One of the Bushes uh, discontinued the program. But it blew my mind. Like, you are getting— fed- and then. So what she did was uh, when she spoke, and she spoke really eloquently, and she consumed cannabis for degenerative glaucoma. Mm-hmm. And she opened up her tin, and I'll never forget, she lit up a joint, and there's federal rangers with the ranger hats are standing all around there, and she's speaking, and she's smoking a joint. And mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, this is an amazing moment. This is the future. This is 1993. So this is wow. not this is not the yeah, future like you know and that's fast track the future anyway. that we know yeah <laughs> it's a, it's years and years ago so I was like that's the first moment I'm like wait this is amazing we're gonna legalize look what she's doing and then when uh, everybody crashed at my house and we got woken up to this uh, noise in the morning uh, of something uh, breaking and I walk over. And I'll be slept in the living room and I had a sculpture there. I was dating this girl who made the sculpture. And it was this thing with spikes going through it. And I look in the floor and it's got pieces of the sculpture on the floor. It broke. There's only one spike. So I, I held on to the spike. I love the spike. Only that. But then you stabbed Elvi with it. Exactly. <laughs> it oh, yeah. that. That's how this story ends. No, but but the thing is, she was like so apologetic. And she didn't see it. And then this is and this is my moment. This this is the, the pivotal moment of because I used cannabis all my life and I used it quote unquote recreationally, but it helped me with my ADD. And I always knew it helped me with my ADD, but I'm like, ah, maybe I'm making it up. Maybe I'm just convincing myself because I like getting right. I get like, I like getting high. I like it. Uh, maybe it's not real. I, medicine, I don't really know. Is it really medicine? There's not not a lot of information to that point. This is like early early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And when I saw this in front of my eyes, she uh, lit up a joint, I think it was a joint, and she smoked and she could see again. Like her her mm-hmm. muscles in her uh, for glaucoma loosened up and she could see, still with a you know, Coke bottle glasses. And she was apologetic, but she could see. And I'm like, wait a second, this is real medicine. I just saw it, no pun intended, in front of my eyes, uh, <laughs> that she is no longer blind uh, and she could see. And uh, that that was a pivotal moment in my life, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I can I can I can totally see that. And she sounds like an amazing person. She's still with us, right? Yeah, yeah. I think she lives. I think she lives somewhere in Oregon, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in, in that. Of course, uh, she does. Pacific Northwest. You don't want to put her there instead of Idaho. Um, all right, and she's probably smoking stuff that's a lot better than the stuff that the government was letting her smoke, which was like basically grown in that one place, that one 
oh, facility. Yeah. Yeah. In Mississippi. Yeah. University yeah, of Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah, it's, so that, that stuff uh, has up to 7% THC, more like 4% THC. And uh, there's every study that was done using that is not a relevant study because you can't replicate that cannabis that they were using there. Well, wherever they were growing there by the government, it's nothing that we can get in a, in a dispensary anywhere. So even it yeah. doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, strain, strain. Um, all right. The other moment, and this we have talked about, and that is when you discover hip hop. And I didn't, under, <laughs> I didn't realize that you kind of traded in your, uh, your, your, your Led Zeppelin t-shirts for sweatsuits and you started walking around and you were suddenly like a hip hop DJ guy. <laughs> Um, uh, well, it wasn't much of a DJ guy, but I was a, a break dancer. So that was yeah, okay. that was that was my thing. But this is another thing we share in common. We yeah, break dancers. Yeah, I, I took on the look though. It's so ridiculous, right. man. I wish I, my my parents have pictures somewhere. Uh, Adidas sweatshirts, suits, and stuff like that. Well, so it started with Adidas, and it was Adidas all the way through. So Adidas, Adidas, fat New York laces with yep. the sock that I could put in the front of where the front of the shoe is. So it would, the, the tongue of the, the shoe would yeah. stick out and you have, and then I figured out how to do multi-color in New Yorkers. So I have different colors and different shoes and all that stuff. So I was really nice. into it. Um, Don't you kind of wish you hung on to those sneakers are probably worth a fortune now. I know, right? Uh, right. <laughs> well, and I then, used to have, and I used to have the first generation Jordans too. I didn't think much of it. I, yeah. Now they're like, like $10,000 or whatever. <laughs> and then you were, were you wearing gold? Oh, was I wearing gold? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's in the book or not. I don't think so. But you should see my, so. my high school graduation picture. Uh, so I have a mullet. I have a little bit of a mustache. Uh, they used to call me Len P. Rico because I looked Puerto Rican, I guess. Uh, right. So I had a mullet and I had gold. People were woke. I mean, I, you, you know that uh, movie, I'm going to get you sucker, where the guy yeah. OG'd. He overgold and died. <laughs> it was me. That I had like six gold chains. I had a Playboy bunny. I had a card. I had a yeah. So I had, yeah, I had a bunch of gold chains. But man, but I switched from Adidas to MCM. So I had an MCM sweatsuit uh, with snakeskin on the sides and Cazelle uh, glasses as well. So I wore them too. Oh, <laughs> so cheesy! You had Cazelles. That is that is. That's really going deep. Deep. That's deep. So, but hip hop was a huge influence in your life. And and what do you think it was that resonated so much with you about it? Aside from the fact that it's just so freaking good, the lifestyle too. The it was that like the music connected with me immediately. I, I've I, yeah. I really don't know why the music connected yeah, with me. It was just like that's it. It just wow. I can't believe and this is music. You are this Lithuanian kid. <laughs> Basically, I mean, you're American by this point, but you had been, you grew up in Lithuania or you were born in Lithuania yeah. and you grew up, I didn't realize you grew up like in a lot of different places until your parents settled in. Um, well, no, it was, it was the immigration process. Now they grew up. So what happened was because in the, in the late seventies up to the very early eighties, I believe that Jews were allowed to leave uh, the Soviet Union for a very brief period of time. And you're basically sitting so my parents were sitting on suitcases waiting to get approved. And it's like my dad worked for this, uh, he's a, he was an engineer and he worked for this military kind of uh, whatever facility and they were going to let him out. And the way you get let out and we finally were allowed to leave. So I left with my parents and my mom's parents, my, my two grandparents. So the journey 
Uh, I think there's a there's a movie or a documentary about that on Amazon. So the journey was like this. If I remember, I was like six years old, so I'm, you know, bits and pieces. But you get on a train somewhere from Lithuania to another city. Uh, you throw all your stuff and you can only take your suitcase and that's it. You left everything, all your life belongings, every little thing you leave behind. You can't take cash with you. So I think you can take up to $500 and that's mm. it. And you go on and you go. So the train goes from there to Poland, from Lithuania to Poland. You get another train. There, and, and then there's military guys. I remember with machine guns that come on. They take you off the train. You throw your stuff off. You get another train and you go to Austria, Vienna. And we live there until people keep interviewing and making sure that we're not military spies or all that stuff. They right. keep coming in and doing that. So we stayed there for weeks until we were allowed to leave again and we go to Italy. And we lived in Italy for like six months. And my my parents had jobs. My dad worked at a car wash. Granted, he's an engineer with like master's degrees and all that stuff, wash cars. And my mom picked up la- the language Italian really quickly. So she became a tour guide. That's a multi-language Russian and, uh, and uh, um, an Italian tour guide. And uh, that's what he did. And, and we sold shit at the Italian bazaar. And I remember there was this little little Italian guy that really liked my mom, and he would always uh, uh, buy cappuccino. He's like, "Hey, uh, for b- bambino, uh, cappuccino, and all this stuff." Yeah. So, so yeah, that was that was the journey, and we waited, and then we got you know whatever permission we had to get to fly to uh, New York, JFK, and then we got into whatever car that was there to, and drove us to Philly. I'm like, "Why don't we stay here, New York, man? Look at all these buildings." And we drove to freaking Philly. And lived in in a basement. Oh man! Yeah. Now, how old were you when you got to Philly? Seven. So you remember it? You remember all this stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, how old were you when you discovered hip hop? Was that when you were in high school? No, like, no, that was that was. Uh, so hip hop was the eighth. I think I was in eighth grade. So seventh right. grade, seventh grade, I was super into uh, like rock. And eighth grade, I was in the rock too, and I was dating this uh, rock chick too, and I had a bandana tied around my uh, my leg and did all that that stuff. And then uh, I think I was uh, cannabis was a big part of that, so I was consuming cannabis. Yes, high school, I definitely got into it, but I started in eighth grade. Whenever really really got deep into it, whenever I saw uh, Beat Street. That was my yeah, moment. That was the thing. Yeah. yeah that when, was the thing. when I saw Beat Street, I cried about Ramon and all that stuff. And I'm like, these guys can break dance. We're doing the same thing. So we would put cardboards on the, in the middle of the street. And we would try to, I bought a, a box radio and a, and then we would uh, play whatever. I mean, it was very hard to find hip hop back in the day, but whatever we could find. And we would try yeah, to break dance. so hard to find it. And emulate it these so hard guys. so to find it. You had to make tapes. At least what I had to do was I had to listen to the radio and press record when the hip hop show came on, right? That that, that's it. Your that's exactly what I had way. To do. You couldn't even buy the record. Yep. Um, yeah, it was, people don't realize how hard it was to find it. And and particularly hard, I think, for people who aren't like in the community, you know, like if you were like an outsider like I was living in Westchester, like near the Bronx, but not quite in the Bronx, um, you know, the Bronx kids were like trading mixtapes and stuff. Yeah. But for me, I was just like, I don't know. How do I find this stuff? Like, I yeah. don't have any connection to that. Um, all right. So hip hop, we talked exhaustively about hip hop and we'll continue to talk about his topic. Well, well, well I just want to say the tape thing that, but that's, that sort of got me into all that stuff because I couldn't sleep. I, I think I talked about this before, uh, on a show, but 
my mom was allergic to air conditioning. So she said, so Philly summers are like New York summers, uh, very hot and humid. I was allowed to put a fan in my window in my room that would blow hot, humid air back in the room. I couldn't sleep. I hated it. And I still, to this day, unless I'm exhausted, I hate going to sleep. Uh, so I would lay there. I have a radio and I had that uh, the cassette recorder that had the, the little orange button that you would press down and hold to record and you can let go of it. And I, I didn't have to like stop, you know, you can just press a record and let go. And then, so I would start making mixtapes. So I, at night, whatever radio station I could find, I'll record this, record that. And I start making mixtapes and I would have mm. mixtapes and I would give them to people. And that's how I got really into music and, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. And you, I didn't, I mean, this is later, but I didn't realize you DJed at a strip club. You didn't tell me that part. <laughs> The, the catwalk. Laid the, catwalk. the catwalk. Yes. So you would, you would, would the girls tell you different things? Like, you got to play this song for me when I get on stage? Yeah. So, yeah. So they, they would. And then, uh, the you know, it's the it's the typical songs. You Shook Me All Night Long was a big one. But the biggest song there, I remember, was Pour Some Sugar On Me by Def Leppard. Girls oh love God. that. That's the premiere. Everybody give it up for candy with Pour Some Sugar On Me. Guys, now, don't were you the guy that had to talk to? Like, hey, everybody, stage four, candy. That's it. Not this is what I hear. I have never been to a strip club, but this is what I hear. They say. You, know, you, like, make, you make the announcement. Don't forget yeah, to tip your waitress. Oh, my God. That's crazy that you had that job. Yeah. So you were a full-fledged, this is why we relate to each other. We DJed, we break, broke dance. Yep. We broke dance in the past tense. <laughs> um, uh, we did some break dancing. Were you a floor guy or did you do the electric boogie pop and lock? Uh, more pop and lock. Uh, okay. The floor, I did a little bit of floor and my move was the worm. That was my, mm-hmm. that was my that's go-to. A good worm. That's yeah. a good move. Yeah. I love so, the worm. I think it's one of the few things that I could do. I mean, I could never do it now, but, yeah. I, but I could do it back in the day and it, it hurts. I've tried to do the worm recently and I just- It does know, hurt. And my daughter somewhere has a recording of me doing the worm. <laughs> Oh my god! That she from sent to her friends <laughs> from when you were a kid. No. Oh wow! Recently, within the last few years, <laughs> because I have a video that somehow still exists of me breakdancing when I was 16 years old, which maybe I'll share with you one day. Which is kind of incredible to see a what I used to look like because I weighed about four pounds, but <laughs> b I can't couldn't believe what I was able to do back then. I mean, I still I'll still break it out the occasional, uh, you know, uh, school fundraising dance party i'll break out a few moves the floor will clear yeah were you clearing floors and stuff we've never compared we've never done break dance moves together we should get we should together to see the saddest moment in the world to watch two old guys break dance but uh i still got it in some ways i I probably can pop a little bit but uh the worm they were impressed the kids were impressed but i could still do the worm worm is Uh, that is incredible yeah worm's a great a great move but uh, then, right. then I got into so it was a combination of breakdancing and roller skating. So we would uh, oh. we got into roller skating, and that was my and I got really into roller skating. I had no idea this was a, a black thing on the West Coast. I right. had no idea. I didn't know anything about it because we skated together, black, white. It doesn't doesn't matter. Right. We and that was my thing. So I would every year I would have birthday parties. At the roller skating rink and you know yeah. all that stuff, I I hooked up with uh, my first uh, um, how do I say this third base uh, not not the group but <laughs> with a oh, girl right. okay. Uh, okay in the in the in the in, roller rink 
Yeah, in the back of the roll ring. It was, yeah. There was a spot in the back of the roll ring that rolled up carpet. And uh, there was a spot, it was, it was dark, and uh, on the back where the carpet was, that's where you can uh, you know, hook up. So the, here's the move. The move is you- I don't, don't get too graphic here. No, no, no. The, <laughs> okay. the move is the move, how, you, how you know the girl oh. likes you. Oh, okay. Stuff. So it's an all-guy skate, right? So when, when it's all-guy skate, all the girls come off, and the guys mm-hmm. skate around, and you can do your shuffle move or whatever it is, yeah. and then you put your hand out. And if a girl smacks your hand, the next skate after that is couple skate. So you would skate oh. off, and you would, if you're good, you can skate backwards, and a girl would skate forwards, and that's your that's your hookup move. So that's that was that's my move. a good move. <laughs> I never did the roller bla- uh, roller skating thing. I did rollerblading. Um, we were into ice skating, but yeah, roller. I remember rollerblading being a roller skating being a huge thing, and clubs would open up and play, and they would play some good music, man. Yeah, that, that was fun. That's what kids did before you could go to a club and dance. All right. So the third major impact is when you discovered. DNA and and not just DNA. I, I discovered DNA, by the way. So for anybody. I yeah, you, you did discover <laughs> DNA. And that's one of the great things about you. And I think people don't really recognize that you were the first person. Um, in fact, it was called, um, it was for a while, it was DLA because it was, it was uh, uh, Len, where it was a um, D Len A, um, but then they changed it. I don't know. I'm trying to think of how, how they work your name into DNA. It was DN May. It was DN May for a while. Um, but then they changed it back. Anyway, point is that you didn't discover DNA, but you you discovered in your life the impact that someone's genetic profile can have yep. uh, in their experience with cannabis. Tell me when that you had that experience and why that was so revolutionary to you, like as a like it just changed your whole life. Your yeah. whole life went in this direction. Well, so when I moved to LA, I got into the dispensary uh, space. I was a uh, a uh, partner in several dispensaries. They were called Kush Kingdom. So one of my partners, you know, we would smoke together and he's like, what is that? I'm like, uh, you know, sativa. I didn't know. It was, I, all I knew was sativa and indica at that time. As sativa. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't smoke that. It puts me to sleep. It's like, what? No, no, no. I think you got it wrong. Indica is down, sativa's up. You know, it's like the Forrest Whitaker meme that one of his eyes is a sativa, one of his uh, eyes is indica, if you ever saw yeah, that. And funny. he goes, not for me. It's the opposite, man. Like I can smoke uh, um, indicas all day and I'm up, but as soon as I smoke a sativa, it's like, well, that's weird. Uh, I don't understand how that's even possible. So that's where my like spider sense started tingling. And that's why I started yeah. hyper-focusing. I started noticing and sort of in my mind at first, two people will come in with the same symptomatic conditions, even in, in hangouts and all that. And they would consume the same cannabis and it would have different experiences from time to time. So I'm like, that, what is that? And mm. I started obsessing over that. And I really started thinking that it was the, the cannabis itself. Because the way that back, back in the day before testing was a, a, a thing, w- cannabis worked like this. So you would uh, you would get grow your cannabis, and somebody would bring it, or you grow it yourself, and you sort of know what the strain or chemovar is, what the chemical variety of that uh, cultivar is supposed to be. But you also know what's on the shelf. There's no mm-hmm. metric system or anything like that. Seed to cell tracking, and you're like, you smell it, you break it open. I'm like. Ah, I can smell it. Smells. Uh, it's got like a little bit of fruitier smell. Uh, OG. We're missing OGs. Like call Casey Jones or something like that, which is actually you know a strain. 
And what it's missing, and it's been a good seller and similar. Like I can see it smells like that, but we don't know what the hell it is really. We think it's right. that. So I was always like, it's got to be the strains themselves. And uh, then I, I came across a video because I was researching. I'm trying to figure it out. I came across a video from this guy named Kevin McKernan, uh, who was one of the first people to genetically sequence cannabis. And I just became fascinated. And I would uh, email him and then, uh, you know, long story short as we met and I uh, ended up working with Kevin uh, for a while, medicinal genomics, doing exactly that, genetic sequencing of the plants. And that was my, that was my entryway. And I loved his stories. He started doing this. I'm not sure if I'm telling a story that was, is not public, but he started doing this because his father got diagnosed with cancer and he worked in the human genome project. And he's not the only person, there's other people that did genetic sequence of cannabis, but that's the one I found. So what he did was he wanted to see if based on his experience with the Human Genome Project, if he could actually sequence cannabis the same exact way and figure out what's right for his father. And they wouldn't let him do it in the U.S. So he took, uh, he took genetic material, he flew to Amsterdam and he got the genetic material he got a bunch of toothbrushes and he got the genetic material on toothbrushes and he would do the sequencing in his hotel room hmm. in uh, in Amsterdam. And it was amazing. I love the story. Yeah. I was like, man, this is brilliant. It was just like this thing that connected with me. And uh, that's, that's kind of how I uh, joined. And I started realizing that you have the plant genetics and I learned a shitload about that. And they taught me how to extract DNA from plants. So now I understood, yes, there is a difference between, it doesn't matter what you call it, it's all the components of the plant are different based on the genetics of the plant. Uh, and, then, and then I started learning because they had a parent company uh, called Cordage and Life Sciences. And I started learning about pharmacogenetics uh, or pharmacogenomics and really understanding what is that? What is a genotype? And I dove deep into that. And now we had the human stuff side and we had the, the plants side. And I was like, can you merge the two together? If you know you have plant genetics, you know you have human genetics, some of them may interact. And they really didn't, they didn't want to engage in that. They were saying it's years uh, in the future. We're not ready. It's not good information. We don't have clinical studies. So I was always the kind of person, the kid, like, you know how you, you ask uh, permission or you ask forgiveness? Well, I was always mm. the ask uh, forgiveness and don't worry about permission. So I'm like, you know what? Why can't I do this? Let's just do this. And uh, I was lucky enough that I surrounded myself with a few really, really brilliant people, uh, geneticists and, and uh, PhDs that, that really know this stuff well. And I learned. I can, I can learn fairly quickly if somebody communicates to me in a way that, that connects, and I, I just absorb that information. And then that was, yeah. that was it. That's cool, man. And so you found this passion um, and made this whole company out of it. Are you really the only, you're not the only person working with DNA and, no. genet and genetics, and, but you're definitely in the cannabis space. There's not a lot of people who are doing what you're doing, right? Yeah, I would say we probably started this industry in the cannabis space uh, and there are other companies and that's great. I, I welcome companies to come in and do this because the more companies that get involved, the, the more legitimacy it builds to the entire industry. So cannabis is personal and people are, are validating that. So I'm, I'm happy to 
come on board. We're still going to be light years ahead of you, but come on board uh, because yeah. we're. I'm already you're gonna lose. You're going to lose, but come on and join the race. Yeah, just come on, come on board. The more the more you talk about it, the better it is. But I tend to be competitive as a person, so I'm always looking to see who's doing what. And we had some incidents where I had. To, I'm not going to mention names of companies, but there was a a couple individuals that worked with me initially mm-hmm. when I my first iteration of this company. And uh, they ended up, we ended up parting ways. I thought it was uh, in a in a good way, and they basically launched a competitor company to us. Oh wow! So uh, you know, until they make a dent, uh, we'll let them go. But that's uh, they they know you, you guys know who that you are. Sucks. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening now, we're coming after you. We'll do some worms on you. Um, <laughs> all right. Well. The book is called Making Cannabis Personal. I really recommend people, if people want to get it, is it available now? Is it on, do you have to back order it? On, uh, yeah, you uh, get it Amazon? on Amazon. If you go to Amazon, uh, it's Making Cannabis Personal. Uh, so it, right now we're just finalizing, we're getting some quotes for the book and stuff. Uh, so once that's out, you'll you'll get, it's back ordered yeah, on Amazon, but you'll, you'll get your, not a, you got the advanced reader copy, but you'll get the actual uh, copy when it's printed. And uh, there's a couple publishers that uh, have some interest. Besides my publisher, they've mm-hmm. uh, some bigger publishers approached them, and uh, so maybe I'll have That's better great. distribution in you know the Targets, the WalMarts, everywhere where people buy books, Barnes and Noble. Right. So well, people want it. People want this information. There's actually there's a lot of really great personal stories in there, and there's one story that made me laugh. Can you? And I don't want you have to buy the book to hear most of them, but. There is one story that you have to tell, and that is the story of the time Mickey Rourke and you <laughs> connected, or you, Mickey Rourke connected with you. Talk to, just give a little, a little play there. Man, I wish I could, I could, I'm going to try to paint a visual picture. So okay. the, the way, the way this happened was uh, our, our guest, uh, Danny Hester, who was Mr. Mm-hmm. Olympia, he was training, yeah, Olympia, he was training yeah. uh, Mickey Rourke. So Mickey was coming to this this house that my friends had. There was uh, this uh, cannabis club uh, in up in the the, uh, the Hollywood Hills, and uh, he wouldn't introduce me because I made this formulation for recovery, and and Danny really wanted Mickey to try it. So he's mm-hmm. like, "I'll come to the house, and I want to show him the house, and you know, whatever, whatever you'll you'll talk." I'm like, "Okay." So he's texting me. He's like, uh, "Hey, uh, where are you?" I'm waiting for you in the house. Yeah. I was like, I'm here. I'm like, where? Here. I think I told this story before, but uh, I look out, I go on the balcony, and I see Danny in the middle of the street. I'm like, over here, man. I'm waving to you over here. He's right. like, oh. He goes, oh, shit. Uh, Mickey went to the house next door. They kind of all look I the see. same. I'm like, right. oh, well, tell him to come out. Uh, he's using the bathroom. <laughs> he <laughs> dropped, he dropped the deuce. <laughs> Trying to do somebody else's stuff. Somebody I guess if Mickey Dwork comes to your house and says, hey, do you mind if you use the bathroom? You're like, all right. It's he, walked, he walked in to somebody's house. Oh, was the door was open? Yeah, I guess so. Holy shit. So, all right. So that was, uh, that was the beginning holy of it. Shit, he comes up. Holy shit. He, he looks, he's a very interesting, very eccentric uh, looking guy, really tight pants, like... Uh, He's he's pretty built, but he's a, he's a very really interesting looking guy. I would urge people to go Google and see what Mickey Rourke looks like. But and he's really into his dogs and all that stuff too. So uh, he 
really nice guy and great storyteller. And we talked about weed and he started telling me about how he has a penthouse. I think he still has it somewhere in New York overlooking Central Park. And everybody would come over to his house to get high and all that stuff. So he would have yeah. all these stories and uh, we'd start talking. I, I was asking about, I don't, sometimes I'm just like, Dumb, and I ask questions that are personal questions. I don't, I don't think that anything of it. I asked him about his face and what happened. He was telling me that uh, he fell off a motorcycle and he had reconstructive surgery. Then he went to Russia to box because I love him there. Uh, he was a professional boxer, and he got banged up and he had to get it fixed. And they messed up the fixing of the first surgery. I don't know. That was his story. So we started talking about boxing, and he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, oh, you know, that was great. You're a boxer. You're good. He goes, yeah, I just uh, signed up for another match. I'm like, really? Yeah. And I want to say he's he was 60, I don't know how old he was, 63, yeah. something like that. And the guy he was fighting, he was supposed to be in Germany, is like 30 years younger. Jeez. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, hey, you got to be careful, man, so you don't get, you know, you don't get beat up. He goes, no, yeah. no, 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 no. He goes, I have a whole plan. So I'm standing next to him. So he yeah. goes, open hand, no, no fist, yeah. but he goes, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to jab, jab. And he's like, he's flinging his Showing. hands and he's showing me how to do it. He's going to jab, jab, and then I'm going to give him a liver shot. And with his open hand, by the way, his fingers are probably like four of my fingers put together. He's got these big, wow. big fingers. And he hits me with an open hand uh, in my in my kidney. He didn't mean to hit you, right? Or did he? <laughs> I don't I don't know. You gotta, you gotta ask me. Yeah. He didn't hit me like drop me hard, but he right. made but he contact hit. enough where I could feel it. <laughs> so and was you like, went down. You took a knee. <laughs> I took a knee. I was like, dude, really? Uh like, yeah. So Nikki work basically knocked you out. He he he, 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 hit, he, in- he hit me with enough force for me to feel it. He I mean, that's a kidney shot. Out. That's illegal in boxing. <laughs> Be a kidney shot. Oh, that, no, that's legal, man. He can do that's that's the uh, uh, the Bernard Hopkins uh, De La Hoya shot where he hit him and he gave him a liver shot. Then was a delayed reaction and he dropped. And now he's not knocked him out. Once he hit somebody in the liver uh, in boxing, if you hit him right, uh, they're not going to get up. Crazy. But that, yeah. was, that was my Mickey Rourke story. And then and yeah. then he ended up going and then he was like, "Is this going to freak me?" He took the the recovery uh, product. He's like, is it going to freak me out? Am I going to get paranoid? Am I going to? I'm like, nah, man, it's all good. And then he was sitting in the car and he, I came out. He's like, that's good, man. That's good. I like it. It's good. I you feel like, good. Oh, good. <laughs> cool. All right. So he, you hooked it. You hooked a brother up. All right. Uh, let's move on to the other portions of our, of our amazing podcast. If I don't say, if I do say so myself, thank you. Um, but Len, that yes. was really fascinating. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate you uh, going over the book. I, if it, I got to get more used to it. I, I'm very used to speaking about stuff that we do. But when it comes to my personal stuff, like I feel a little bit awkward about it, but I, I have to do a better job. So this- this but, but Len, everything is personal. Everything is personal. That's right. So this- No, this but is this a good, is a good start. It's a good conversation. It gets the- And, I'll, and I'll, now that I know- I've, This is blood money for me too, because now that I know stuff about you that- um, <laughs> That uh, that other people might not, unless they read this book. I'll bring, I'll be, I'll be popping it, All right. popping it out every so often. I mean, I don't have a book about me that you can just pick up and be like, oh, so <laughs> you know, I hear that you did this. Um, so I'm gonna believe me, I'll be referencing this book a lot. But anyway, it was a pleasant surprise. Not a surprise. I knew it was going to be good, but actually, it was much more readable and 
uh, engaging than even I thought it would be. So, well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. I'm really proud of it. I think it, it's a big accomplishment, yeah. something I really wanted to do. And, uh, you know, yep. it's off the book. No, okay, you, you've got one more book than I do, and I'm a professional writer. So, there we go. <laughs> what the fucking I've been doing my whole life. Um, all right. So, we're going to talk about before we wrap up here, we want to do one of our favorite things, which is to transition into another segment. Uh, in which we talk about music. And you had a really good topic today that you want to bring up, which is? Which is? You're uh, in a fire. You're burning, your house is burning down the house. Yes. Which your records? Your house is burning, not which burning down the house. five records uh, you, would ha- you would save in a fire? And this, right, so your house is burning to the ground. Yes. You've got, you've got a minute to get out of there. Forget your dogs and your cats. Yeah. You've got to grab some records. The records. That's right. <laughs> the records are important. No, my cats come too. Kids, uh, no, uh, maybe the kids too. By the way, uh, before but- before we get in there, can I just tell a really, really quick story? Just because of, oh, my, of my stupidity, for- just of my stupidity. I forgot about this. Really, yeah. really quick. And uh, so I was uh, I, I was hiking, which I do on a daily basis. And I I was rushing. I misstepped, and I stepped into a ditch, and I rolled my ankle over. Like oh, if somebody can visualize it, I sort of rolled over to the right clockwise, and I went back. And I knew something was up because, you know, you trip, but this one kind of hurt more than usual. So I kind of limped back and I actually went to happy hour with my friend and I could feel it. It was still in a sock and a shoe and Mm. it was blowing up. I could feel it, but, you know, I had had a drink or two of smoke Mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, I didn't feel it. And I got home, I took off my shoe and it was just like, it blew up and it hurt. And I was, people were saying, you got to get a look at it looks more serious than just like a, a, a you know, it rolled your ankle. I'm like, okay. Well, I've I haven't used my insurance card in I don't know 15 years. I don't see doctors. I noticed. I don't go to urgent care. I've never been. So I had no idea. So I called my insurance company and I asked them. I was like, well, first of all, can I just go to any urgent care? Like, well, yeah, it's lungs, it's, you know, it's approved. You can use it. You have PPO, so you can go. And I asked him if I uh, have to make an appointment. And the lady was literally laughing at me. That's the whole point of urgent care. You show up. I'm like, oh, I thought I had to make an appointment. Right. So I showed up. Welcome to the, yeah, to medicine in in 2021. Yeah, no, that's, we've talked about healthcare. You're not a big um, believer in traditional medicine, particularly or. Well, but this is but this is the point. So just just to finish this story really quick. So they took X-rays, not broken. They think that's a little tear in my uh, uh, in my ligament, which is fine. It'll heal. I'm taking my cannabis for it. Uh, it's it's like from what it was yesterday to what it is today. It's night and day. It's turning all different colors right now. I got some black. I got some purple. I got some all different colors. Pretty. But it's yeah, pretty. It's, it's pretty. It's like rain, rainbow of uh, of darkness of some sorts. But but. Here's the thing. So they, they look at it and the doctor comes up to me and I'm, I'm you know, gingerly walking. I'm fine. They wrapped it for me and all that stuff. And she goes, hey, do you want any pain meds? Mm. I was like, really? I'm like, it's that easy. It's that easy to go. You guys don't even suggest CBD. It's not even psycho. Right. You don't have CBD here that you can suggest to somebody. Forget default. it's cannabis. But you're going you're gonna to push an opioid on me in three seconds just because I have an injury. Mm. Like I, I just... That's the reason why, you know, you traditional don't go to medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I go to um, the doctor, I went to the doctor recently about some of my sinuses <clears throat> and I'm, I'm much more 
by the way, a, a guy that goes to the doctor a lot. So, yeah. um, which is not a great thing, actually, that I'm not particularly proud of. But um, so, yeah, they, they, I, you know, I said I had some problems with my sinuses. They gave me this horrible test where they had to put this probe down my nose and they had Ugh. to actually, they had to numb the back, without even saying it was going to be weird, they had to numb the back of my throat. But, you know, that feels freaking weird when they numb the back of your throat. You swallow, you can't feel swallowing. Ugh. It's a bizarre feeling that scared the crap out of me for like five minutes. They left me alone while the the, the medication was taking effect and I'm starting oh. to like try to swallow and I can't oh. swallow. The anxiety like, gene kicked in. Yeah, the anxiety <laughs> gene's like, doo, 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 doo. and then I'm like, I can't freaking you swallow. I, I can't feel anything. And then they shove this thing down your nose. And then they're like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, you probably, they're like, we don't know yet. You probably should have this this test and this test. And then, you know, they're basically telling me you're going to need to have sinus surgery. If you continue coming back to us, we're going to probably, they're just based. And, and it's like, I don't think I need sinus surgery. It was just like, there's always more and more and more. And I don't know what that's all about. It's never uh, about just wellness. It's always about like adding on these procedures and medicine and medical treatments and like, like that I don't want to have. I just want to like, can you, can you suggest a non, you know, toxic medicine that I can take to deal with this sign? So anyway, that's why I've been asking you recently about, and that's why I've been so fascinated by these doctors that you've had come on the show that are, uh, what do you call them? They're not- uh, Integrative functional in, medicine. They're integrative functional yeah. medicine doctors. Well, that's the whole thing. You just hit the nail on the head. So first of all, uh, you, you know, it's, it's they, they want to give you more drugs and they, this is my feeling on this. And I have many conversations with doctors. Sometimes doctors don't know. Most of the time, they don't know. What they're trying to do is they, they have sort of a checklist of what they think it is. So they'll try, let's try this. Oh, it's not that. Mm -hmm. Okay, off the list. Let's try this. It's not this. And the goal is we're going to try to cause the least amount of harm as we mm -hmm. possibly can to the patient while we're trying to figure out what it's not so we can be left with what it may be. But during that process... You've had all these procedures. You have to have medication. It's all billing and billing and billing and billing and billing. And then some of these medications that they're giving you can create adverse effects. And it's like, it's- and you a, have to take medicine for that adverse effect. It's a ridiculous yeah. thing. So yeah, uh, but- Yeah, so we can go on to that. Yeah, uh, okay, back to the music. All right, back to the music. It always ends with music yes. for us. That's the only thing that keeps us sane. That's true. So you were talking about you're in a burning house and you have to grab some records. Um. And I guess you're grabbing these records because in in this universe that we're inheriting here, these records are completely irreplaceable. <laughs> Not that you can find them online. Uh, back in the old days, you know, but maybe it was an original record, original cut you had of the record. There you go. Anyway, let's, the just, let's just go with the rarity. And by the way, here's a rare record. Yeah. Yes. It, we'll, we'll, we'll suspend disbelief uh, for a minute. But here's, here's and by the, by the way, if you're grabbing records, but you don't have a record player, that's that's a whole thing. How, how you that's a whole thing. There's something weird but about it. It's you. okay. But here was my, this was my struggle with it because, you know, I'll give you an example. So Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. That's a record right. that I would normally want to grab because it's a, it's a classic record I listened to a thousand times. However, I thought to myself, I've listened to that a thousand times uh, more. Yeah. Am I really going to take this record and listen to it over and over again? Because right. this it's is almost the, like you're tired. Of one it. of the yeah, a little bit. So it, yeah. it it took me. It, it was really that's hard. Yeah, it was. That's the experience I had. So I was I was trying to figure out. Ask myself this. What can I get the most mileage out of where I would probably not get Front sick of as much of that record? 
And uh, yeah, so that was kind of my criteria that I listened to a lot, but not too much. And then I would get sick of it. Yeah, I mean, the problem is that I listened to things so much when I was a kid that I've ruined them now in my growing up life. But sometimes I'll discover a record that I listened to a lot as a kid that I kind of forgot about. And Mm -hmm. then I'm like, oh my God, I loved this record when I was a kid. Now I remember why. And part of it's nostalgic for me. But um, all right, what's your first one? And then I'll take one. Yeah, so my first one- Dark Side of the Moon? I'm cheating on the first one. I'll tell you why I'm cheating on it. Because- I was trying to, it's Led Zeppelin, but I was trying mm-hmm. to figure out which album. So I was going through, all right, my favorite Zeppelin album is Zeppelin 2. But man, it's missing this song and this song. So Led Zeppelin right. released something called Mothership. Mothership yeah. is basically all their greatest best. hits kind of thing, which uh, in a way, so I cheated on that one. So I'm grabbing Led Zeppelin Well, Mothership. that's okay, because I cheated also because um, I, I love the Beatles. You know, yeah. if I had to like, and again, that's kind of, again, the Beatles are the type of music that I kind of ruined as a kid because now it's hard for me to like listen to a lot of Beatles just because I listen to Beatles and Beatles and it's all I ever listened to for like five years of my life as a right. child. Um, but that that album, so that that is hard. So I felt like we had to, I had to put the Beatles album that is there from like 1967, their later year is that album. The, is that the red one? Yeah, the red one, yeah. right? Because that has all the great songs. Now, I, you know, I like, do I love Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band? Do I love Abbey Road? Of course. Yeah. But I, but I, but that song kind of captures a lot of the, the songs that I love from like 67. I, I love that. Yeah, that, that, that makes total sense to me. I, I would okay. definitely grab it. So that's it. my cheat. That's my <clears throat> one cheat. I'll okay. probably have. And then I did best of, <laughs> I probably do all the best of records. I, yeah, but I did one. I allowed myself that one. You did. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you, honestly, like some best ofs aren't, I don't even like that much, so. <laughs> Okay, so yours is uh, yours is the Red uh, Beatles, the Red Beatles right. one. Okay, yeah. so my next one is a double EP that came together. It's the yeah. Alice in Chains Sap and Jar of Flies EP. Oh, that's good. I love that's- both of those albums, and I'm so glad that they made it as a probably have it somewhere back here, but they made it as a as a double uh, thing. Love that album. I probably could have just gotten uh, Alice in Chains Unplugged, which has most of the songs anyway, but that was my- Speaking of Unplugged, no, I'm not going to put on my five, but man, do I love the Nirvana Unplugged record. Oh, it's that's amazing. It's my favorite Nirvana album. Definitely the best Nirvana album. Yeah. I love the um, Lead Belly, right, that's a- uh, you know, the one he did with the, Where's My Lady Sleep at Night, right. uh, that Lead Belly cover. Fantastic. I think I'm going to, I love Billy Joel. I'm. We're, this is my old stuff. So mm-hmm. I love Billy Joel. Yep. So I think I'm going to put The Stranger on, because I also love okay. The Stranger. So the, Billy Joel is hard because, and I don't actually like the best of Billy Joel because it has stuff like, you know, Uptown Girl and stuff on it, which is just like the worst song ever written. <laughs> so Billy Joel, you have to be careful because he's wrote a lot of super corny stuff. But The Stranger is like kind of a work of art. It's between The Stranger and 52nd Street. But I think I'm going to go with... Oh, Glass Houses is really good. I'm going to go with The Stranger. Okay, so that's my... So one. what's the big hit on that? Uh, at, the Stranger has... It's not Piano Man. That's... Bottle uh, of Red, Bottle okay. of White. Yeah, yeah. It has Moving Out. It has... That's right. Um, that's right. Moving Out. That's yeah, the hit. Yep. That's the hit. <clears throat> okay, cool. <clears throat> I went... Uh, the next one is Rage Against the Machine, the very first mm-hmm. one, which is self-titled. 
I mean, I can never get enough of that. And every time I will work out, anytime I need energy, you know, that's that's my go-to. Rage All Against right. Machine. I love Rage Against Machine. I, Rage Against Machine is a band that I did not discover the first time around. That is a band that I discovered through the ears of my child um, because he loved, I don't think he still does as much as he used to, but he loved Rage Against Machine so much and we would listen to all their music. And I just was like, how did I miss this first time around? And the reason I missed it was because I was listening to things like Low End Theory. Like that was my, which was probably around, the, no, probably a little earlier, Low End Theory. Yeah, yeah. Right? Earlier. Is that on your list, Low End Theory? I know we talk about that's that my, That's my next, that's my next one. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you just we have like, a tie. <laughs> we have a tie yes. on Low End Theory. I mean, we've talked about that record a lot. It is really... And what else can you say? I, I mean, out of hip hop, that's what I was trying to, I sat down, I'm like, okay, I have uh, a nation of million, like I have public enemy. I've, I've yeah. all, all these different, I have Wu-Tang, 36, like these are albums that I would listen to all the time. But if, right. if somebody were to ask me, what is my, what is the one album that I can listen to from beginning to end and never, ever, ever, ever get sick of? And it's low in theory. I mean, no, I've never gotten sick of any song on low in theory. Like, I've listened to it a thousand times. I mean, I've listened to every song a thousand times. And I can't say the same of, like, some of the Biggie records. or And, and the Biggie records are uneven because there's some records, some right. songs that I don't really like on the Biggie record. That's like a record was like a, the whole thing works. Yeah. Um, so that's just, you know, it's the greatest. Yeah. Midnight Marauders is pretty freaking good, too. Amazing. Amazing. Theory was the yeah. first. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to go with that one, too. So we got a tie on that one. So what's your next one? Well, my next one is, uh, that's that's number five. I think it's the last one. Oh, uh, okay. So we're done. Well, no, no. The <laughs> one more. The, oh, the next that, okay. one is okay. number five. Uh, number this five. Is, this is a really weird one, but I love, 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 love this album. And make someone, <laughs> <laughs> it makes me sad when I listen to it. And I like that feeling. And it's uh, zero seven simple things. Oh. See, I don't know if I know the record. I know Zero Seven and I know their great songs. This album is the greatest because this is the one that Sia was on, like three songs. And the way right. that Sia performs, uh, there's a song called Destiny and Simple Things. I mean, it's just an amazing album. Um, I love Destiny. And there's yeah. been a lot of versions of Destiny. Yeah. I love Destiny. So, so that's- Oh, that's in my, the waiting line is incredible. Yeah. Is that on that record? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. In that genre, kind of, I think the one that I love the most, well, it's not really the same genre, but it's maybe it's similar, is the Avalanches, um, the Avalanches' first record. Oh, I just, yeah. I don't know if you've listened to, I've listened to that record a million times. I, there's something about that record, and I was very happy to hear that um, I am not alone in thinking that is one of the greatest records ever made. What's his name? Um, Questlove. Quest yep. Yeah. Questlove went on. His podcast recently said this is like one of his top 10 favorite albums of all time, which is saying a lot because Questlove probably has a much deeper understanding of all types of music than I do. But that record is so innovative. And if anybody has not listened to that Avalanche's first record, it is, I mean, they use 3,000 samples. Yeah. There's not one part of that record's original, yep. which sounds incredible. And it is incredible how they were able to pull that off. I think it took them like, 18 months to two years to make that record, to just yeah. make all the samples work together in that kind of flowing way. And the samples they pick are just 
from another universe. I think because they're Australian and they had no connection whatsoever to American music and American, well, they had connection, but they didn't really like live here. Right. So like their choices are just so bizarre and interesting. And anyway, love that record. I love, love that record. That's too. mine. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Good choice, man. Love it. All right. Well, that's that, that concludes part two <laughs> of our episode which always means that we're going to end with I added that echo at the end. We don't have to someday pay we have to give we don't have to pay royalties someday. for that, do we? Oh, we probably do. I'm surprised that we haven't been taken off of YouTube for that. I guess that guy is not Danny and the the teenage teeny boppers are not. Don't mention, don't mention. I don't understand. Um, I mean, I get it where, you know, you if you're playing somebody's song, you want to pay them for it. But yeah. if you're playing a few seconds or whatever it is of a song yeah, like that wets people's beak and gives them a, oh, I want to hear yeah, more. Most people We're actually helping artists. Uh, right. There's nobody, nobody's going to record that and say, oh, you know, 30 seconds of a song is the song. No, you want to dig a little bit deeper. So I, I don't understand why they wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's Schooly agreeing. He didn't get mad at us when we played his records. <laughs> Not at all. He's happy. <laughs> we got to have him back right. and see how he- I know. Yeah. I know. I just got, finally got my, if if, if Schoolie's listening, I finally got my edibles sent to me um, and I'm going to send him a, a, a little care package. Well, yeah. Okay. He he enjoyed the, the package that he sent to yeah. uh, him. So mm-hmm. thank you, uh, Schoolie, for the shout. All right. So this is going to be really weird. Uh, my daughter shared this with me. I just oh, think- Oh, wait. This is so funny that you- this literally was played on my, this must be like the song right now because my daughter literally, literally <laughs> played this for me. Uh, so you have heard. Today. <laughs> I heard it today, like for the first time. All right. This is, it's all right, good. so I'm going to play it. it I, I think it's, it's pretty good. It's kind of good. And apparently it's a big TikTok hit, but I, it's very good. I guess so. All right. So I'm gonna I, didn't, pl- I didn't know it was City Girls. I, I remember that the, the title was all right. later. Let's do it. That's hilarious. Though, because it's, it's Planet Rock. Exactly, Planet Rock. It's Planet Rock, and it's time for the percolator. <laughs> it's time for the percolator. It's time for the percolator. It's time for the percolator. I'll shake what my mama gave me. I'll shake my money maker. It's time for the percolator. 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 JZ, I'm fly with it. C I T Y with it. Right cheek, left cheek with it. Fun size on fleet with it. Slim thick, petite with it. She wet with a keep missy. One time for my freak bitches. After hour, no sleep bitches. When I get my freak on, they throwing money like me, chum. When I do my dance, money fight. These niggas don't dance. JZ, I ain't playing. Little bitch, I don't want your man. But these rich niggas throwing paper. It's great. I mean, if it didn't I have, it. I don't know if I'd like it if it didn't have Planet Rock as their main. I hope they're, I hope they're giving Africa Mombata his uh, cheddar on that. Well, one, it's, but. it's, it's, it's Planet Rock and it's Cashmere uh, Ka- is the one that did the, the original Percolator. You know, you know that song? Oh. It's time for the Percolator. No. It's time for oh, the Percolator. Oh, no. So, Okay, so they're they're copying two different things. Yeah, that's funny. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, so that that's There's a nothing house. original about that song other than the fact that they kind of put it together. Not at all. So we're next show we'll talk about house music and all that stuff. If, uh, and and 
Cashmere was a house music DJ and that, that was his big hit. And I remember, because I was listening to a lot of hip hop in uh, WDAS and Power 99 were the stations in, in Philly and they would play hip hop. But every, like when it's five of o'clock drive or whatever it is, yeah, they would play, it's time for the percolator. I was like, wow, they're playing this on a hip hop station. So it, it was a, and in the hip hop, there was clubs, a little play blend, there's too. a little crossover. Yep. That's cool. Yeah, like that song. I think I, I like more. Word, I like more the references. Of course, our kids have no idea that either of those things are from something else. And when I tell them that, they're just like, "Yeah, whatever." They don't care. Like, I know but they just don't care. I'm no. like, you don't understand. That's Planet Rock. It's like one of the greatest hip hop songs ever made. And then you've got your great house song. Yeah, like, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's why it's so easy to just sample shit and get away with it. I guess. Um, all right, Len, another great show. Thank you for sharing your life with us. Yeah. And uh, no, thank you, brother. I appreciate book. it, man. Thank you. Making cannabis All personal. Right. Amazon. Make it personal. Make it make it personal. <laughs> All right. Take Thanks, care. Right. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one toke at a time.